Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to week three of our Oscar season, as each week one Best Picture winner will be taking on a challenger on this week's episodes. In the red corner, it plucked six Oscars from the chocolate box of the Academy Awards, including, of course, Best Picture. It also made Tom Hanks only the second actor in history to win the Best Actor Oscar two years in a row. Turn your dials to feel good for 1994's Forrest Gump. Hello, my name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. It's funny what a young man recollects. You're the same as everybody else. You are no different. Your boy's different. Are you stupid or something? I'm as stupid as a stupid does. I'm Jenny. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. She was my most special friend. My only friend. We was together all the time. We were like peas and carrots, Jenny and I. While in the blue corner, it might have only managed a single Oscar nomination for Danny Elfman's score, with some calling it something of a snubbing. But nevertheless, it was a box office hit and garnered some lovely reviews from director Tim Burton. It's the story of a man, and I might have got this wrong, whose dad turns into a fish. From 2003, it's Big Fish. In telling the story of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from the fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is to tell it the way he told me. Dad, I have no idea who you are. What do you want, Well, Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Just show me who you are for once. Discover an adventure as big as life itself. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. 
Me and Jenny go together like peas and carrots. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. Good. Good. Good to have you both here. How 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 are how are you? Uh let's let's start with you, Victoria. What what what's going on? Um, nothing much. Um what have I been doing? I'm excited about going to the pub next week. That's kind oh. of it. That's all I think about, really. Yeah. Can I come? Yes, you can. <laughs> Thanks. Great. Great. What are you going to drink? Let's talk about what we're going to drink. I'm probably, because I think I know where we're going, uh, because I've just invited myself, Camden Hells. Camden Hells? Three Camden <laughs> yeah, Hells? Yeah. yeah, that would be lovely. A yard of ale, I think I'll have. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of a yard of ale. It reminds me of, not because, you know, I'm not a very sporty person, but when I was at university, briefly, uh, the um, the rugby teams, they all did yards of ale. So I associate <laughs> it with, uh, with a lot of big men shouting and being aggressive. That's why I like it. Right. Of course you do. And uh, obviously, Chris, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Alex. Excellent. Right. This week's clash, Forrest Gump versus Big Fish. These were Victoria's choices. Why? Uh, because it's Oscar season, and no, and I I did want to talk about Forrest Gump. Um, Forrest Gump, uh, I yeah, it means quite a lot to me. So I thought it would be as good a time as any to talk about it. Excellent. Well, you gave us a clue on last week's show. What was it? It was the man, the myth, the legend. Hey, Chris, you followed that up on Twitter with. Uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Great. So from the chocolate box of guesses on Twitter, we're going to be using chocolate box a lot on this show. From the chocolate box of guesses on Twitter, we are at Pandora's box. box last Pandora's box last week, chocolate box this week. Oh, you see, you now you've box. put that now you put it in context like that, chocolate box doesn't sound appropriate uh, for a family show. Uh, we are at ClashPod on Twitter. We're on Instagram at ClashPod. Uh, so here are just a few of the guesses that came in. Russell, uh, Callum and Ryan D all went for Forrest Gump versus the Shawshank Redemption. Something Callum said, I have been waiting for this. Unfortunately, the wait continues, Callum, forever. Uh, Mike uh, has gone for Forrest Gump versus JFK. Obviously, or not, as it turns out, Mike. And Anthony M. Rose went for Forrest Gump versus Walter Mitty. Uh, now, quick note, we do try and make the pairings a fair fight. And despite my <laughs> love of the fact there is a shark in Walter Mitty, uh, a fair fight that is not. So we had one correct answer this week. And appropriately enough, he's done what Tom Hanks did with Forrest Gump at the Oscars and won the big prize twice in a row. Congratulations once again to Andrew Logan. Following your prize of a wolf last week, uh, this week you get some peas and carrots. Go on. <laughs> I think I think our listeners and our Twitter followers need to up their game because at the moment, either Andrew or people call Gary win <laughs> every single week. So come on, where's the rest of you? These clues are good. And I, I think it, I think it's important to stress that that is not representative of the number of people who listen and follow. It's not just three people called Gary, Gary, and Andrew. <laughs> There are more people out there. You just need to do better guessing. That's all it is. Uh, right, let's do the connections then uh, for these two films. What connects them? I'll kick us off. Humility. I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> two protagonists who have no problem telling you about their success. What else? Uh, lawnmowers. Where? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, Forrest rides a lawnmower. Yeah. Yeah, he basically... L mows lawns 
uh, for a living yeah. when uh, he's living by the American football pitch. And Edward Bloom launches a lawnmower business, Bloom Landscaping. Oh, it's weirdly yeah. specific. Yeah, Weirdly sorry. specific connection it, between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, that's really strange. <laughs> oh, mine's really general. Yeah. So the whimsy and wisdom of men from Alabama. Yeah. Got Alabama down. Um, yeah. Heroes who are good at American football, uh, weirdly enough. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Another weirdly specific one. Um, as well as Jenny. Who's Jenny in Big Fish? Uh, Helen Bonham that... Carter's character oh, is Jennifer. Yeah, yeah when she's oh. not being a witch. Again, it's, it's the crossover is weirdly specific mm, in this yeah. one. It's... Yeah. Heroes who go to war. That's another one. They both go off to war, leaving yeah. their loved one behind. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a more controversial one. Oh, okay. Go on. Um, whitewashing. <laughs> I'll get into yeah. it when we actually discuss both films, but there's an issue going on. Um, with the amount of white people versus African American people in the deep south in this movie, in these movies. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, any more for any more? No. No. The last one no. I had was Elvis as well. Elvis is in. Um, is in Forrest Gump and his music's in Big Fish. Okay, that'll do. That'll do. That'll do for now. I think we've got enough there, uh, including some controversy. So that's great. We've covered everything. Right. Um, on Thursday. Chris is going fishing. But today, I find out if life is exactly like a box of chocolates if you throw away the card telling you exactly which chocolate is which. Let me take you <laughs> on a journey. <laughs> a series of innocent people just minding their own business are harassed at a bus stop by a descendant of the KKK's Grand Wizard. He will not stop thrusting chocolates in their face and rambling on like they've all just said. Hey, uh, while we wait, don't suppose you've got any stories about the war, do you? Turns out all is forgiven, though, because it's soon clear that Forrest Gump is the multi-millionaire owner of the Bubba Cump Shrimping Empire. And if a millionaire starts telling you about how he got his ass out for the president, he's not a weirdo, he's eccentric. Anyway, Totem of Conservative Values Forest eventually meets up with the love of his life, Jenny, who, because she once looked at some drugs, absolutely <laughs> has to die. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Yeah, when you when you put it like that, it's quite a strange film, isn't it, really? It's so weird. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Forrest Gump. Uh, right then, uh, let's do histories with this movie. Uh, Victoria, um, you said you, this meant something to you. Let's start with yeah, you. Yeah, because it was a family trip to the cinema. I, was, I would have been 12 or 13, and it was such a family movie, and I thought it was real. I thought it was one man's true story because I was little um mm. and my parents weren't the sort of people that would have been able to or couldn't have given a shit to explain to me any difference so for quite a few years I was like that Forrest Gump sure did achieve quite a lot of things and then um when I later then understood it as a as a fable or as a retelling of American history obviously that changed my understanding of it but I was still so connected to Forrest and I was still annoyed about what happens to Jenny I was always annoyed about that um but I haven't watched it for years and this time it's such a weird experience watching it again because of the love you have for Forrest but you're like oh that's that's not right is it oh and there's one little moment and I don't, I don't know if this is interesting but even when I was 12 there was one moment where I was like hang on if this is one man's story how could that be right but I don't know if you could guess what that bit was but we'll get to it it's fine what did you what did you think when you did you think the footage of Forrest Gump meeting Richard Nixon for example did you think <laughs> blimey he looks a lot like Tom Hanks as well did you think that was yeah. real 
<laughs> I think I did. <laughs> you raise See, a good yeah, point. I, I, I have questions on this front, Vicky. You've opened yeah. a can of worms here. Yeah. So, so how old were you exactly? When I watched it, when I was 12, I think. 12, okay. Yes, so not an idiot, but... <laughs> Or, yes, an idiot. Whatever. You're, you're sort of nearing. You're nearing the age where you should know what a movie is. Like what? What? Is it? what was, yeah. I suppose I thought it was like his. Fa- uh, it was one man's story, but the bit with Nixon and it was just a phantom. Uh, I don't know. Now you've said it, I don't know. But it's what I thought, and okay. I'm sticking to that. So. I mean, there is that weird crossover, isn't there? Because obviously, like, I was in Times Square once in uh, New York and I saw a Bubba Gump uh, restaurant and I was like, what? And I couldn't, at that point, I didn't know that the chain had sprung up after the movie. I was like, oh, my gosh, is that? It's so real. It's real. Yeah, <laughs> so there is there is that crossover there. But uh, but I was, I was seven at the time, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, Chris, tell me about your history with this movie. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I I saw it at the cinema. I don't remember seeing it at the cinema, but I know I did. I think I was impressed. I think I remember. I remember thinking it was too sentimental. That it was sort of quite special and magical. But I was about 16 by that point, and I was a bit more cynical. Um, and what I do remember actually is reading Rolling Stone at the time magazine, and they did a piece previewing the Oscars, and they had an illustration of Forrest Gump sitting on a bench and Vincent Vega was sitting next to him holding a gun to his head. <laughs> and that was when I realised, oh, it's it's Pulp Fiction, which I felt like was my film that belonged to me versus Forrest Gump, the sort of f- fant- the, the, the family Oscar-worthy film. And so it's the first time I felt like I had a dog in the Oscar race. So I was, I was um, particularly disappointed Oscar night that year. I also think this might be the most confusing and confounding film we've ever done. And so I'm very excited to hear what everyone's got to say about it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Uh, well, um, I, I, I hear your sentimentality uh, aspect, but that is the reason I watched this movie. I must have seen Forrest Gump about 10 times. Uh, this is a duvet movie for me, uh, which is a movie that you can wrap yourself up in like a warm duvet and also a movie I watch when I am under the duvet on the sofa, feeling hollow and empty, and I need to borrow some emotion from a film to feel human again. And this supplies me with the emotion that allows me to go, I I feel alive, I'm weeping. That must mean I'm okay. So I'm a big fan of watching this movie. Uh, Weird going through it with respect to it being on the show. I agree, there are some interesting things to talk about. But let's do a little bit about the production of this film. Uh, Great tagline for a start. The story of a lifetime. Uh, maybe that's what confused you, Victoria. Yeah. Because take yeah. that literally, and then you're me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, because uh, we talk about the sentimentality. Mm. The, the tagline on the posters is um, "The world will never be the same once you've seen it through the eyes of Forrest Gump," and yes. that winds me up. That winds <laughs> me up. And if anything, the world is worse when you see it through his eyes. But. <laughs> So it's based on a book by author Winston Groom that before the film had sold around 30,000 copies and after the film sold millions. Uh, No, before you ask, I haven't read it in preparation for this show because I'm not Chris. Uh, However, I can tell you some of the differences as we go along. Uh, But before the novel was even published, Warner Brothers bought the rights to it for $350,000. And Winston Groom, the author, then had a go at the script before his versions were scrapped. His words, not mine. Paramount then, by the rights, stepped forward 
Eric Roth. He is the writer of Forrest Gump, and he had, uh, when this landed in his lap, been busy working on another script for Tom Hanks that would eventually go on to become, in his own words, not a very good film. And that film was called The Postman, starring last week's hero, (laughs) Kevin Costner. Um. So he writes the script, which would get him his first Oscar nomination, um, and he it did indeed win. Uh, he'd follow that with loads more nominations, The Insider, Munich, Benjamin Button, and most recently A Star Is Born. He is a good writer. <laughs> so according to... Uh, <laughs> you did disagree or agree? I, I, agree. I, I, think, I think, Yeah. According to Groom... Winston Groom, the author, Roth got rid of the rough edges of Forrest from the book. Uh, he lost all his profanity, he sanitised his sex life, and he removed the fact that he had savant syndrome and was a genius at maths. He also changed the focus uh, of the film from the book, so it was primarily about the love story between Forrest and Jenny rather than Forrest's escapades being front and centre. Uh, I was watching an interview with him. Uh, There's a really good interview with him on YouTube from just last year, uh, the year before last. And he said he overwrote the script for Forrest Gump initially, and he had loads of fantastical elements where Forrest, every time he saw Jenny, she had angel's wings, and Lieutenant Dan always had a cloud above him that followed him round. And there was a scene at the football match where someone called the crowd watermelon heads, and all Forrest can see is everyone with a watermelon for a head. Uh, He said Zemeckis took all of that out. But doesn't that sound a lot more like Big Fish to you? (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's really weird. I, I, I like it sounds like because you know when you see uh, Sandra in Big Fish, she's always in that weird soft focus glow, like someone's got a light just to the side of the camera. It it sounds a bit like um, Jenny's potential angel wings. So uh, speaking of Zemeckis, it's not the first choice for the director. Paramount first offer it to Terry Gilliam, who says no. The minute I read that, I was like, wow, wouldn't it have been cool if Gilliam had directed it? And then I realized that you take any mainstream movie and say, what if Terry Gilliam had directed it? And it sounds amazing as an idea. If, if, if Terry Gilliam directs it, A, you've got a chance it might not get finished. And B, his hit rate isn't solid either. It might have been very bad as well. Yeah. I just sort of imagine it being like a sort of uh, a Deep South um, version of The Adventures of Baron Munchausen or something, which appeals to me in a weird way. Uh, So Barry Sonnenfeld, he was also offered it. He went, no, I'm off to do Adam's Family Values. Not a Barry Sonnenfeld impression. Uh, They then (laughs) approach Zemeckis, who says yes. So... Interesting casting uh, stories. Hanks was not the first choice by the studio. The first choice for the role of Forrest Gump was John Travolta, who has since said not doing it was a mistake. Now, I'm not sure that he should be saying that because the movie he said no to (laughs) doing Forrest Gump for was fucking Pulp Fiction. So I think that was the right decision, John Travolta. Uh, apparently Sean Penn uh, came forward and said he was definitely second on the list, which sounds exactly like how Sean Penn would approach a conversation. I was definitely (laughs) second, by the way. It wasn't just offered to me. I was second. Second. Uh, uh, Chevy Chase was also apparently courted for it, and Bill Murray. Uh, I love Bill Murray. I simultaneously cannot see Bill Murray in that role. I I just, I I can't work out at what point you think Bill Murray for this at all, do you? Well, isn't, isn't it a little like his character in What About Bob? Oh, yeah. Jeez, God. Let's go back. I haven't seen that for years. That's the one with Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, where he's yeah. kind of innocent. 
or seemingly innocent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I agree. Right. I agree. Yeah, I still can't see Bill in this one. So Hanks uh, eventually he says yes uh, an hour after reading the script. So the important thing to take from that is Hanks is very much into this. He thinks this is going to be a big movie from the off. So instead of a fee, he takes a four percent cut of the movie's gross profit, which works out well for him because he ends up pocketing around forty million dollars. Zemeckis does the same, gets around forty million. Winston Groom, uh, the author, <laughs> has a three percent cut. Of the net profits and Paramount. Nice one, used... Winston. That's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paramount uh, turn around and go, yeah, there, there isn't any. Uh, so you get nothing. <laughs> you can have <laughs> and, no and wasn't... money. <laughs> I think at the time this became the fourth most successful film of all time, not adjusted yep. for inflation. That's how that's mm-hmm. how big it was, but it actually didn't make any money. Yeah, so uh, poor old Winston obviously goes, I'm sorry, what? Where's my money? Where is my money? And so there's a big dispute between uh, Winston Groom and Paramount. Uh, It's eventually settled, though, uh, when Groom declares he's very happy with Paramount's accounting. And he he says that the same week they buy the rights to his follow-up book, Gump & Co., for a seven-figure sum. So (laughs) everyone's happy in the end. Uh, a couple of interesting other casting possibilities. The role of Bubba was turned down by Ice Cube because, in his words, he didn't want to play a character written like an idiot. <laughs> Dave Chappelle said, I don't want to play Bubba because he thought the movie would bomb. He later regretted not taking the role. And Tupac Shakur uh, auditioned. According to his ex-wife, Tupac Shakur auditioned for the role but didn't get the part. Uh, obviously, it went to our old friend from the Conair episode, McKelty Williamson. Jenny... Before Robin Wright, they asked Jodie Foster, who said no, Demi Moore, who said no, and Nicole Kidman, who expressed interest but refused to do a screen test, so they said no. Uh, of those three, I can really only see Demi Moore uh, as Jenny. I, I cannot, a bit, a bit like Bill Murray, I cannot see Jodie Foster or Nicole Kidman in the Jenny role at all. I don't know about you guys, but neither of those work for me. So, as Chris touched on, the film was a massive hit in 1994, second highest grossing movie of that year. Behind any guesses? Lion King. Correct. <laughs> Six Oscars. I loved that as well. So, that was good use for me. <laughs> See, also not, not true, though. Not real. Not real I found life. That later. Can... Yes, correct. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not a documentary. Uh, six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director for Zemeckis, Best Screenplay for Roth, and, of course, Actor for Hanks. This is Robert Zemeckis' highest-grossing film to date. And mainly, the main point is, what a way this entered 90s pop culture, because it was huge. I mean, I remember pretty much any time you saw anyone running yeah. in the mid-90s. And still, <laughs> I still do it. I still do it. <laughs> I do it to myself. I don't. I don't. I used to say it out loud a lot in the nineties, and then when I left home, I thought that was really funny to say. It. But now I just say it to myself if I ever have to run, which is infrequently, but I can't help it. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, you can when Chris and I eventually have our race to prove who is better <laughs> at running. You can stand and shout. We don't mind if you shout at us. That's fine. I think one of us is going to run more like Forrest Gump than the other. <laughs> Don't put yourself down. I think I really rate your chances. We both know. We both. Uh, no, we don't. We don't. Uh, I'm, I've been training, so uh, that's another story. Um, yeah, uh, Eric Roth said he intentionally repeated the line "Run Forest Run" throughout the film, so it did become anthemic and stick with people. There are a few more bits and pieces we go through the film, but I'll just chuck them in as and when. Any more for any more? 
No. Nope. All right, then. Let's talk about this film, Forrest Gump, the documentary. <laughs> Alan Silvestri's lovely Oscar-nominated score starts us off with that feather. An amazing fact uh, to start us off, that feather's not real. That's that's not a real feather. Can you Are believe you being that? Ser- yeah, I can believe that. Are you being serious? Yeah, no, I was like, how did they do that? Like, follow a feather along that path because it's such a random path. It looks like I a- remember that no. was the big news. As, as big as the film was, it was the, the effects, though, wasn't it? Because the story was, A, they've spliced him in with real yeah. footage. Mm. B, yeah. they've removed an actor's legs. And C, this this feather isn't real. Mm. Yeah, no one had I done mean, it before. I am joking. I do know that feather's not real, Victoria. I can tell you're worried and tense. I, I do know that feather's not real. They've been silly. But, yeah, um, it, it won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects, and yes, um, some of it still looks great. Some of it, as we'll get to, does not look as well as I remembered it looking uh, yeah. from years ago. Um but any 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 theories that feather actually generated quite a lot of debate about what its meaning was at the start of the film. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because doesn't a white feather mean surrender normally, or no. doesn't it? No, I don't know. I mean, that's what was going through my head when I watched it this time. The fir- the first time I saw it, I thought, what what a pretty feather! I imagine. Yeah. Well, at the end, doesn't doesn't Forrest Mum talk about um, fate and and in the film being about the random nature of of life, sort right. of blowing us this way and that like a feather? Yeah, that's what I that's what I see it as. I sort of sat and thought about it, especially at the end. And it is, it's sort of like it is. It's uh, it's fate, the randomness of life. Um, nevertheless, Forrest catches the feather, puts it in his book. We meet Forrest at his bus stop in the present, sitting on his bench, or as I'm going to call it, his narration station. <laughs> so this was filmed on location in Chippewa Square in the town of Savannah, Georgia, and that bench is now in the Savannah Museum. So bench fans, you know where to go. <laughs> Forrest sits there and he waits and he waits and his patience pays off as victim number one turns up (laughs) and sits down. And Forrest immediately, and I do mean thrusts, a box of chocolates in her face, like right in her face, which she declines because obviously... Now, we get the most famous line from the film, and it's a film full of so many quoted lines so often. It's uh, the first of its two outings. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Eric Roth came up with that. Um, In the book, the line is, being an idiot is no box of chocolates. Makes tons more sense. That's a good line. (laughs) Yes, I guess, yeah. Yeah, don't 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 change it for the sake of changing something, Eric Roth. Uh, apparently, when uh, Eric Roth said, "I've got a new line, Robert, uh, Mr. Zemeckis," uh, here it is: "Life is like a box of chocolates." Zemeckis' response was, "What the hell does that mean?" Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> well, it depend what the box of chocolates is? Some yeah. bo- some box of chocolates, they're all the same. Um, other box of chocolates, you normally have a card, so you right. always know what you're going to yeah, get. Or more or less always have a card, don't you? But it, yeah. every, I think every stand-up I ever watched in the yeah. mid-90s was doing this joke about, yeah, it's like a box of chocolates unless you look at the selection card. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, anyway, Forrest starts banging on about the woman's shoes. They must be comfortable shoes. She doesn't want to talk. Take a hint. Uh, for the record, if it was me on that bench... The minute he mentioned my shoes, gone. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking. I'll walk. I don't need to take the bus. I'm like, get get, get away from me. But he wouldn't anyway. say that because you, the shoes you wear don't look comfortable. <laughs> Suede Chelsea boots, once you've worn them in a bit, they're, uh, they're very comfortable, actually. They're very comfortable. 
my doctor actually said I should stop wearing them all the time. He said, they're really not good for you. You should, do you ever wear trainers? I was like, no, uh, <laughs> gross. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he, he, he said, do I wear them in the house? And I was like, I do actually. Yeah, I like to look good when I'm walking around my house. He's like, try and take them off. I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Uh, then I realised he was obviously a doctor and it was just advice, but you don't have to listen to them. Right. Uh, section one of the show is called... <laughs> It's obviously, <laughs> it's obviously called Run, Forest, Run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the fictional town of Greenbow, Alabama. Uh, we find out that Forrest is a descendant of the former Grand High Wizard of the KKK, the real-life uh, person who is Nathan Bedford Forrest. I Honestly, I've watched this ten times. I, I think I just blank this bit out. I totally forget. Yeah. about this this yeah. aside where it's like he's related to the former Grand High Wizard of the KKK in, KKK in real life, uh, and then they superimpose him into Birth of a Nation, Tom mm. Hanks in Birth of a Nation. It's weird, isn't um, it? You just go, oh, shit. Oh, never mind. <laughs> and that's and it. Maybe that's why he's so disinterested in, in helping out the Black Panthers later in the film. It's, it's just It just comes with these weird connotations and... If you're not gonna, if it's not gonna lead to anything or mean anything, I would just take that out. I definitely take the, the Black Panther stuff. We'll get to because that's very troubling, and it's a problem. But the KKK stuff is really, it's kind of quick, but it sets up. I think now again with like adult eyes, the tone of the film, which is there's just no judgment. There's no, they're not, you know, he if if he represents America, it, he's not saying sorry about that but he's not making a joke about it. It's just like, here is a thing that we're going to put in here to kind of acknowledge it in the loosest possible way because we can't pretend it didn't happen, but we're not going to put a judgment on that because Forrest isn't going to make, he isn't capable of making a judgment. That's interesting. Which I think it's deeply problematic yeah, because sure. the film's also saying by not judging this, by just letting this pass you by, yeah. you can be super successful in America. Yes. You can have whatever you want. Yeah. Because I was very much, I was very much with Chris. I, I was, I was like, just take it out. Why? Why is it here? Because it, it serves no purpose other than to be a little bit uncomfortable at the start. And well, I and think it, the filmmakers are probably proud of themselves for including it because they're like, we're going to tell the history of America through um, a, a literal sort of figure of America, Forrest Gump, and, and show our history. And we can't tell our history without telling that story. But they don't tell it. They just sort of it's just there without any deeper analysis. It's an I egg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just um I just wondered whether they were more worried about the fact that if they took that out that would generate more um bad press potentially uh, the idea that they'd altered the book to make it more palatable for oh, cinema yeah. goers. Yeah. I mean is, uh... they altered a lot though, didn't they? I mean well, he's yeah. not 6 foot 6 anymore. He doesn't <laughs> become a stuntman or a chess player or a wrestler. He doesn't go into space. Mm. Um so yeah, that could have been another thing they took out. Yeah. It's also pre-internet, so it's not like there would have been a firestorm on the internet uh, about this. So yeah, uh, well, nevertheless, we learn that Forrest has a low IQ and he can't get into public school. Uh, so Mrs. Gump sleeps with the head teacher. Can we talk about this super quick? Because hmm. the, the things I've become a little bit um, like hooked onto this time round are different from the, when I was twelve. So I don't know what I thought of. Is there a is there a Mr. Gump, Mrs. Gump moment when I was twelve? I was like, don't know what that means. But I want to think about it now because when he comes out of Mrs. Gump's bedroom and Forrest is on the porch and he says something like, your mama sure does care about your schooling, the implication being she's kind of put her back into it. And what is <laughs> the... I know, but like that's that's there for the reading. Mm. What is the film telling me? That she kind of... She was up for it because she tried harder than she, quote marks, needed to. Or 
because not all force is physical, he's had her do something that even she didn't think was going to happen. Um, like, what is the film telling me? Because Mrs. Gone... No, I think it... I, I took it to mean she just had sex with him. Yeah, yeah. For the sake of her son. She'll do anything I, for the sake that's of right. him. Okay, so she hasn't done something above and beyond no. the, the usual. No, I think no. he's just all enjoyed right. himself and he's referencing the fact that he's just had sex. Uh, okay. Like, uh, just in general. Standard, I, I normal, nothing... Extraordinary vanilla. going on. Vanilla, vanilla. sex. Okay. Right. And he's, yeah. he's liked it an, an awful lot, is what... Okay, fine. Well, yeah, he's dabbing the back of his neck like a stressed wolf. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I, Mrs. Gump, Sally Field, makes this big deal um, uh, about don't let anybody tell you they're better than you, Forrest. You're the same as everyone else. She really wants him to, she doesn't want anyone to take advantage of the fact that he's a bit simple, stupid as a stupid does. Uh, but then Forrest asks her, uh, in relation to his dad being on vacation, what vacation is. And she says, vacation is where you go somewhere <laughs> and never come back. Yeah, it's a bad now, idea. Is that not taking advantage of your son being a little bit stupid? And also, surely that is going to come back and bite you in the ass at some point in your life, like when you forget that you've said it and go, hey, Forrest, do you want to go on vacation? He's like... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we get our first night's little bit of history uh, here, though, um, which is the really good Elvis bit. Love the fact you don't see Elvis's face. I think that would have been off-putting. Love the mm. fact it's Kurt Russell doing the voice. And I, I like the fact of how Elvis got his funny dance. That's nice. That's good yes. for me. But I also think, you know, analysing it this time, this is a joke that Zemeckis did previously um, in slightly more problematic fashion. But um, Back to the Future, um, Chuck Berry learns Johnny B. Good from Martin oh, McFly. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Elvis learns that it learns this dance here and then later John Lennon learns the lyrics for Imagine from him. So I just feel like he'd done this this gag before. Yeah, I, I, I will say that I never really understood the... Um the bit where they see Elvis doing it on TV when they're walking past the shop front and Mrs. Gump uh, moves Forrest on. He's like, this is, she's like, this isn't for uh, children's eyes mm. and, uh, and moves him on. I always saw that's because she thought Elvis, she knew Elvis was mocking Forrest, but it's not. She has no, no recollection of that. Yeah. That's a mistake on my part. I thought she was like, don't look at this. He's making fun of you. No, no because famously that performance, um, or I think maybe the thoughts previous, he wasn't allowed to be filmed from the hips down, Elvis. They banned him on TV because of the sexu- the raw sexuality. Yep. <laughs> he was a sexy man. Now, the main two things we have to take from section one is Forrest making friends with Jenny and Forrest learning how to run. Uh, I'm going to keep a, a little counter here of how many times I cry in this movie. I was hungover, <laughs> so it was a proper duvet day movie for me. Uh, this is my first set of tears uh, when the braces snap off Forrest's legs. <laughs> and it was Jenny's in slow motion going, run, Forrest, run. And he's running and they snap off. I was like, he's so fucking beautiful and I'm already gone. I'm gone. I'm already just gone. Just watching him run. I have a I have a lot of cynicism for this film now, but watching him run just fills me with pure joy. <laughs> I love watching mm. that man, run, that boy. He's such a good runner, and I'm a shit runner, so it, I'm jealous. But I could watch Tom Hanks run like that all day. And mm. um, it's also this this sequence has got my favourite visual effect in the whole movie, uh, which is where we're on Young Forest running, pan to the boys on the bikes, and then they pan back to where Forest should be, and there's just a plume of dust like Roadrunner, and he's in the distance. Mm. That is such <laughs> a cool moment. I love that so much. Um, right, we'll carry on. Uh, God, are we only on section one. Uh, back after the break. <laughs> This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So uh, there is a deleted scene here. I couldn't find out if it was ever shot, uh, but uh, Eric Roth was talking about it in the interview. It's around this first period where Forrest was meant to meet Martin Luther King on the march to Selma. And the scene was written as um, dogs were going to attack Martin Luther King and his friends. And Forrest knew the dogs from the town and he makes them go home. Uh, so this was uh, a scene that Eric Roth says they felt it might be disrespectful, so they didn't include it, and he's very happy about that in hindsight. Good, good, cool. good, correct. I, I think so. I'm glad you agree. Uh, we also set up Jenny being abused by her alcoholic father. That will be a theme throughout. Anyway. We're back on Forrest's bench now, or the narration station, and victim number one, if not entirely swayed, has started to warm to Forrest because she sort of regretfully goes, oh, my bus is here, but I'm not convinced. I think she was keen to get away from him. Section two is called War. What is it gump for? (laughs) They won't all be winners. This is (laughs) Forrest. So this is Forrest going to war at first though we get an ejaculation scene uh which i don't really understand can someone explain that scene to me oh you're funny i mean i definitely (laughs) didn't get it when i was 12 (laughs) it's funny uh he looks at jenny topless for a second that's all it takes uh then we get the very funny line i'm dizzy uh but we do find out in the sequence that jenny wants to be a star which is important uh we also get a meeting president kennedy and he needs to pee uh Now, these bits, I mentioned it earlier, where they've added Tom Hanks to existing footage and reworked the lips to sync up to the new dialogue that they've got impersonators to record. 
I remember this being incredible when I first saw this movie. I was like, this is seamless. That is amazing what they can do these days. Looks a little bit shit now, doesn't it? I do you know. I'd, it's the one thing I had forgotten all about. So I probably haven't seen this film since I was about 18. And I, I, feel, I thought I could remember all of it. I was like, I don't even need to rewatch it for the podcast. And this, it's so stupid that the thing that was the huge fuss about inserting Forrest into these real life things, I'd completely forgotten. So then watching them again, it was like really fresh eyes. I was like, oh, it does look a bit... Bit rubbish. <laughs> it, it looks. It's got. It's got the feel of Superman's upper lip in in <laughs> Just Whedon's Justice League. Mm. But as you say, Alex, we can't watch it with modern eyes. This did yep. impress all of us at the time. Yeah. Yes, it did. It did. It did. Uh, well, we're going to go training for war before we go to war, and we get a repeat of the school bus situation where Forrest gets on the military bus and no one lets him sit down. I, the repetition is nice. Jenny this time being replaced by Bubba. I just it doesn't it doesn't work for me because why would that happen? It happens on a school bus. Totally, kids are dicks. But <laughs> like you wouldn't get. I don't think you'd get that getting on a military bus. Why would anyone go? You can't sit here. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. That, I, I, all... Yeah, I agree with you, but I think it's just, I mean, I don't know why they wanted to save time because it's obviously not, it's quite a baggy film. But if Bubba repeats Jenny's move, you instantly know that they're going to be friends and you don't need to like quote marks, waste sure. time setting up their friendship. I always liked it. I can totally see what you're saying. It is a bit repetitive, a bit daft, but because I'm stressed out for Forrest because I want him to have a friend and I'm like, oh, this guy's definitely going to be your mate now. Mm. And also, yeah, you very quickly uh, know that Bubba's going to die I think I knew yeah. that the minute I met, I met him. <laughs> as a child watching this, I was like, he's going to die, isn't he? Uh, Bubba knows everything there is to know about the shrimping business. Uh, now, I don't know whether this is just me. When he was listing all the different ways you could eat shrimp, pan fry, deep fry, gumbo, and it is funny that the last one is shrimp sandwich. <laughs> 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 Did that make you hungry? I, I, I so wanted to eat shrimp when he was talking about the different ways to cook shrimp. And this is coming from someone who is a vegetarian and also had just watched Sea Spiracy on Netflix. <laughs> and I and I was I had to turn that off. I couldn't get through it. I was like, this is horrific. I watched that, I was like, yeah, I could go for shrimp. I could really go for some <laughs> shrimp. Should we now. do a tea mounting to Bubba Shrimps? Oh, I'd love to. Bubba I've gump. never been and I've yeah. never, ever, ever wanted to go. But if Alex is keen. You know it's going to be good, right? In the same way, like Dan Aykroyd's restaurant, House of Blues, like is a massive chain restaurant. But like, and you're like, this is a chain restaurant. It's it's amazing. I w- I once had a steak years ago from House of Blues, and I, I went to bed in the hotel. This was my first night in Houston. Went to bed in the hotel, and there are so many additives in that <laughs> steak that I woke up at four in the morning. And I didn't know where I was, uh, jet lag. And the first thing my brain did wasn't go, where are you? It was like, I really wish I had more steak. I need more steak. (laughs) I want more steak. Need it now. You realize why there's an obesity problem when they put that much shit in their meat. Um, So uh, one last stop before Vietnam, and that is to see Jenny perform on stage. So she's naked, playing Mm. guitar, blowing in the wind, uh, in a strip club, uh, or as Forrest puts it in one of the funniest lines in the film, <laughs> her dream had come true. <laughs> yeah. I, I did always hear that scene, even when I was 12, because I knew that the language of film is a well-established, you know, that a girl singing like that, bad things are going to happen to Jenny and they're not necessarily her fault. And watching it now, I think the one good thing, although it's not much, is that she gets kicked out of college because she does a photo shoot for Playboy in a college sweater. 
And that has nothing to do with Forrest. So it might not have been her own decision. You don't know. that It's not explained why she did that, apart from she said she mm. wants to be famous. But it's not... She rejects him quite a lot throughout the film, and every time she rejects him, something fucking terrible happens to her, apart from this time. So she does the photo shoot. She doesn't flag that with him, and he's like, I don't think you should do that, Jenny. Cut to, now you're in a strip club. <laughs> so that's the one good thing. It's it's nothing to do with Forrest, but it, I, you just feel for her so much. It's like, you, you, you like, like at 12, I was like, you're going to die <laughs> because this is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's still quite a strange act for a strip club in the first place. <laughs> and she seems I, I, genuinely pissed off. She's like, I'm trying to sing here. It's yeah. like, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's really on the strip club owner. It's like, yeah, I'll definitely book you playing an acoustic guitar, yeah. like blowing you in the wind. You do have to get your tits out, though. You know that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, not for the last time, Forrest punches people who hurt Jenny. So they're sending him to Vietnam. I have more tears for me here when she's getting in the car and he goes, they're sending me to Vietnam. Uh, I was like, oh, Forrest. So we're in now. Uh there's, talking about succinct storytelling, like you mentioned about Bubba on the bus, Vicky, uh, I think if you ever want to establish that uh, a couple of uh, new recruits are green around the, the gills and a little bit naive about what they're going to expect in Vietnam, you do a shot where it's them looking at a guy in a helicopter who looks like Lemmy from Motorhead, who's clearly been there a while with a handlebar <laughs> moustache, sunglasses and a scarf, and they're just like, the fuck <laughs> it's like yeah this isn't what you expected um and i uh, once again uh like with so many films we are reminded that of all the wars the vietnam war had the best soundtrack uh, <laughs> it's relentless isn't it <laughs> after <hell>. tune <laughs> yeah uh, the soundtrack was uh is the fourth uh, the soundtrack i mean you've got bob dylan presley credence clearwater revival aretha franklin lynn skin so many on there it's the fourth biggest selling soundtrack album in history um do you want to have no prizes just for fun a guess at the other three dirty dancing no the bodyguard oh. Correct. The Bodyguard is the highest selling soundtrack album in history. Two more. Grease. Grease. Uh, Frozen? Has that got one? No, no. Saturday Uh, Night Fever. Correct. That is the second highest grossing soundtrack album in history. I'm not sure you'll get the third. I was surprised. Uh, He is an artist who changed his name. Prince. Um, Right. What did he do? Um, a musical Purple movie. Rain. Yes, correct. That oh, is number yeah, yeah. three. Yeah. So a little fun game, there, a little quiz. No, it's not not a patch on your work, Chris. But not the real uh, I just, quiz. no, not the real quiz. That wasn't quiz, the real quiz. A, that wasn't every, the real quiz. Every, every all the people who listen just for the quiz, the real quiz is still coming up. <laughs> um, uh, meet Lieutenant Dan uh, Gary Sinise, being awesome. Every time I watch Gary Sinise, I'm reminded of how much I love watching Gary Sinise. Uh, He's brilliant. And uh, everything I read about Gary Sinise, he is a good guy in like real life as well. Uh, (laughs) Like I've just, I I just get this, you know, you just want to hang out with someone and like hug him. Uh, that's 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 how I feel when I I see him. Uh, he, in real life, he's got a Lieutenant Dan band, um, which is an Amer- <laughs> it's called the Lieutenant Dan band. Uh, it's an American <laughs> cover band that perform at USO shows and nonprofit uh, for nonprofit organizations. Uh, he says he named it after Lieutenant Dan uh, because uh, yeah, we got it's that. The- <laughs> <laughs> shut up! He, uh, shut up! 
Uh, <laughs> he says that's the thing most people shout at him in life. Shut up. Right. We get, I told you tonight uh, about the guy, sorry, Peter Stormare from uh, Fargo, the name of his band. It's the same oh, thing. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his band was called Blonde Guy from Fargo because that's where everyone <laughs> shouted at him. <laughs> uh, so we get the uh, the firefight in Vietnam, um, and I, I mention this purely because I, Robert Zemeckis is not known as an action director, and yeah, I think Robert Zemeckis is probably one of the greatest action directors who's never made an all out balls to the wall action movie. Like you think about the firefight in this, the plane crash uh, that we talked about in Castaway, the plane crash in Flight. I honestly, I would, I would love to see him just make a proper action movie. I think, yeah. I think it'd be fantastic. It does look really good. I think to bringing it back to what, what is the film trying to tell me? Because it is that sort of film. And bear in mind, we don't even see the enemy, so we never see the Viet Cong. They're just mentioned. I think the film is the film saying the US has basically got no idea what's going on out here, like Forrest, but they act properly, as in Forrest rescues everybody. So his values are not tested or compromised. He doesn't um, like lower himself or do anything he would regret. He acts with valour and he acts with honour and he's got no idea why. Well, they, they, Bubba and Forrest seem to thrive quite quickly. So I feel like it's telling us that the army is full of idiots or only wants idiots or... You've got to be an idiot to thrive there. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, you'll do best if you don't ask any questions. They don't ask any Maybe, questions. But again, you know, they, he's not put in any of the situations that you see in Platoon or Casualties of War or Born on the Fourth of July. So yeah. it's very easy for him. It's very black and white here, his his Vietnam experience. Yeah. And then late, and then after this, do you notice, talking of the narration station and the bench people, the minute Forrest is a war hero, that's the minute people start paying attention to him. What does that say about uh, the history of the US? Interesting. <gasps> Very good. Ooh, yeah, I noticed that. Um, I, I probably didn't notice that because I, I was crying my eyes out for the third time when Bubba dies. <laughs> oh, um, <that's> awful. <laughs> well, of course he does because you kill off the black guy, don't you? That's what American films did in that era. Yeah, it's the words he uses when his last words, which granted Forrest sets up in narration, like, so you are like, okay, I'm ready for this. I'll never forget what Bubba said. And Bubba then goes, I just want to go home. And you're like, ouch, ouch, (laughs) ouch, ouch. Uh, Lieutenant Dan loses his legs, uh, has a really terrifying speech after he drags Forrest out of bed. Uh, Gary Sinise getting his Oscar nomination there. And uh, (laughs) while he's recovering, Forrest starts playing ping pong, and it's very good. (laughs) Tom Hanks does not play ping pong in this film. Those ping pong balls don't exist. They're CGI. Oh, uh, is that true? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm gutted. I know. <laughs> I know you sort of like, you, it's because you. It's because we all hold Hanks in such high regard. You're kind of like, I bet he learned though. I bet yeah. Hanks would do that. <laughs> but any man that can, to me, any man that can run like that could play ping pong like that. <laughs> the two seem to be linked. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, we get some we get some weird footage of Lyndon B. Johnson and uh, him mm. showing him his buttock. Now, That's weird. I, yeah. I just can you explain to me because I, I feel like I, I I actually did a bit of digging and couldn't find any any sort of understanding of what this scene is about. Where he leans into him and almost suggestively, Lyndon B. Johnson says to Forrest, "I'd like to see that." When he talks about his buttock wound, and then Forrest gets it out, I'm, what what's happening here? Yeah, I found myself googling this to see if they were sort of trying to get at something. Yeah, uh, but it appears not. It's just um, 
quite a strange turn of right, events. Okay, good. Because I was like, I was like, I, I went through his Wikipedia page. I'm like, controversy or anything like that, or like suggestion or like rumors about like you know. And there isn't anything, as far as I could find, anyway, about why they would have him sort of su- suddenly becoming a bit sort of like, let me see your bum. <laughs> I do. Um, I do like the way Forrest says uh, buttocks. Yeah. Uh, it's inter- have you watched the video they've got of the screen tests for Forrest Gump? No. no. It's interesting because it's it's all over the internet and they say it's um it's Tom Hanks audition. It isn't Tom Hanks audition. He didn't audition for this film. He was coming off the back of Sleepless in Seattle, Big, A League of Their Own and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't auditioning, but it's all the actors um screen testing opposite him, um including Robin Wright and Haley Joel Osment. But he is as Forrest Gump, he's his accent isn't too different to his own. He was initially going to play him with a very gentle southern accent. And it's just when he's acting opposite the kid who plays the young Forrest, whose accent pretty much is that, is the reason that Hanks um, has such an exaggerated accent as Forrest Gump. So uh, it was really interesting that that wasn't part of the plan initially. Yeah. Yeah, I think Hanks was um, didn't even want to do it, did he? I think Zemeckis really sort of lent on him as well. He said, no, I think you really need to play it with a strong southern accent. And and Hanks eventually... Went for it, which is great. I do because... find myself saying buttocks like that in my head, though. Buttocks. Not, not all the time, but buttocks. sometimes. Buttocks. Um, a little Oscar connection here, which thinks this is Oscar season. Uh, when Forrest gets back to Washington, uh, the guy in the flag shirt giving the speech in Washington at the Lincoln Memorial is Abby Hoffman, uh, which is the same person Sasha Baron Cohen is up for an Oscar for playing in the trial of Chicago 7. Little, little Oscar. So, it, regarding that moment, though, I, I, now that's a, this is a moment I didn't understand. What are they saying here? They're the not crowd saying can't anything. hear Forrest. That's the point. They don't. But wanna... Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman hears him yeah, and likes true. what he has to say. So did Abby Hoffman enjoy hearing what this idiot said? Yes, that's a good point. And it didn't make a, sense to me. Is Abby Hoffman oh. inspired by what this idiot has <laughs> yes. said? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, uh, it's this is quite an interesting story uh, behind this whole speech. Um, because Eric Roth um, actually wrote a speech uh, for Hanks to deliver at this event, at this, this, this demonstration. And he says that Zemeckis never liked what he'd written for this speech. Uh, apparently, Zemeckis said it needed to be funnier and way more important. So Roth actually enlisted the help of some comedian friends of his to try and get this speech right. So Billy Crystal had a go at working on this speech. Uh, Robin Williams had a go at working on this speech and nothing was coming together. Uh, So then Roth goes the other way, away from funny, and writes a big patriotic speech that he describes as wonderful. Uh, Zemeckis still doesn't like it and so comes up with this idea of having the microphone pulled, the wires pulled out so no one can actually hear. Um, But I can tell you what Hanks says because Hanks has actually said what he says on that stage and it's been confirmed with lip reading. So uh, would you like to know? Yeah. So what he actually says to the crowd, uh, which feels like exactly what Forrest Gump would say in this situation, by the way. In Vietnam, your best good friend can get shot. Sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home in their mo- to their mamas without any legs. Sometimes they don't go home at all. That's a bad thing. And that's all I have to say about that. So he okay. literally recounts, as you'd imagine Forrest Gump would, literally mm-hmm. what happened to him in Vietnam. Okay. I think that would have been better than having him not be heard. It's confusing, isn't it? 
It, yeah. it, I, I always found it confusing and I sort just, of yeah, unfulfilling. No, I was. I thought I was invited to assume that America now, well, when the film was written in the nineties, isn't quite sure what it thinks about that. Mm. Um, so it doesn't say anything. Just that they acted with honor. They did their best in this war that people can't quite put a pin in. Like, was it a bad thing or a good thing? Because we, I don't think we're at a, not that it needs to be that binary by any means. But when at the in the nineties, maybe we weren't at a consensus point that we might be at now, which is like, it, you know, it was a bit of a clusterfuck, actually, and a lot of people died. I I, I, I feel that this film is saying that politi- political activism is bad. Yes, and that, so that is moment, what it's And that <laughs> yeah. moment, um, yeah. that moment is portraying the political activists at that march as absolute idiots for cheering yeah. at something they have not heard. So yes. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this whole film is, is uh, like, I mean, you can argue both ways and some say uh, that the conservative, uh, conservative-minded people uh, adopted this film and then imprinted their values on it. But I really do think this, this film is like an indictment of the counterculture movement. I, well, then no look mistake. at what, look, what happens next. is we, So Jenny's there and she's fighting for peace. That seems like a good thing, but obviously remember how she meets her end. Then we move into a scene with Jenny's new boyfriend just before he slaps her. And they're with the Black Panthers. And this seems to be super bad and very troubling because they're fucking they're annoying like they're didactic they're annoying they won't shut up about what they're trying to do jenny gets a slap across the face they do nothing about that so the film is saying they're the sort of people who think that's okay and the Mm. only person who doesn't think that's okay is forrest gump because he takes her out of there but the way that the black panthers are portrayed in that is just banging on and on and on and it's just that's a very specific take on political activism and agreed and they're there to be a punchline as well so he can say Sorry, I had a fight in the middle of your Black Panther party, and that yes. seems to be the only reason they've been included. Yeah, mm. bad. Yeah, I mean it's a good joke, but it's it's in bad taste in the context. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, a cringy moment next. One of the one of the moments I really do dislike, um, uh, which is where he apparently inspires the lyrics to John Lennon's oh, "Imagine." It's so bad. It's so awful. bad. It's so it's bad. just awful. And also, I yeah. thought because I was really obsessed with this being a retelling of American history, and I was like, did they? Maybe they they do think of that as John Lennon as, as their own. But I think to British, we were like, oh, he belongs to us a little bit. So don't put him into this story. I felt. Yeah. I mean, I know that's really petty, but I did feel like that. Yeah, it's just sort of unnecessary. It's sort of like I, you know, you don't mind for some reason you don't mind him like uh, ending up being the 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 guy who uh, is the cause of Watergate and ends up ending Nixon's presidency. That's fine, but yeah. you can't come up with the lyrics for Imagine. That's not no, on. That's not, not on. right. It's an important song. Um, yeah, uh, we get uh, we get Gary Sinise showing up again, looking all Tom Cruise in Born on the Fourth of July, uh, using lines from Midnight Cowboy, which is uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. Take, takes you out of the movie. Watching it from from the from that John Lennon moment onwards, I actually couldn't remember much. Everything I remember from Forrest Gump was from that first hour, hour and a quarter, where I think it's got the big hits. And now That's I think the stuff isn't quite as memorable the second half of this film. But that it might just be me. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It's certainly not me because we get to my favourite section uh, next. Section three. Big shrimping. Uh, <laughs> love this section. And I think it's because I really like Lieutenant Dan. I've told you, Gary Sinise, love him. And him turning his life around in this section is uh, is a big bit for me because um, Forrest buys a boat, names it Jenny, obviously. Uh, Lieutenant Dan turns up. We get that great scene on the jetty where he's on the jetty and Forrest is so pleased to see him. He's like a dog. And yeah. he just jumps, jumps off the boat and swims straight to the shore. And you get that great visual gag of the boat smashing into the jetty behind him. Love that. 
Cut to actual Jenny, who at this point in the movie has tried every drug there is. <laughs> uh, and is currently uh, doing a lethal weapon stand on the balcony move. Uh, because, remember, at the start she wanted God to make her a bird so she could fly away. Uh, quick note about the soundtrack at this point. Uh, music producer Joel Sill reflected on compiling the soundtrack. We wanted to have very recognisable material that would pinpoint time periods, yet we didn't want to interfere with what was happening cinematically. And yet, while Jenny is wanting to be a bird, the song playing is Leonard Skinner's Free Bird. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little on the nose. Uh, back in Shrimp Town and Hurricanes ground all the boats except Forrest, so him and Lieutenant Dan make a fortune out of others' misfortune. Yeah, I misremembered this. I don't think that's... I mean, I think thematically it works because it's... Is is it actually quite a political thing to say, like, the, the US did really well in this period of time because of other people's misfortune. I thought they, they they got lucky some other way, not that other people are fucked. And so they <laughs> clean up. I think it's really bad. Like it, it made me feel uncomfortable. Like it's not fair. It's not, and it's, I don't know, it's not the American dream, what we believe the American way, which is like work hard and you'll get what you want. Not about, be in the right about, place at the right time and you'll get what you want. <laughs> but that's the whole thing about this. It's like, you know, it's... It, this movie, on the one hand, is talking about luck and and the randomness of life and like how a situation like this just happens to be blind luck. And a lot of what happens to Forrest is just luck. And yet it's also sort of going, see, see what you can achieve if you just follow these simple values. And it, it's it's very unclear. It's quite a confused. It's, it's luck, but it's also someone who stays apolitical and doesn't question authority. And I feel like it's saying if you participate in this country and let us dictate your every move, you'll thrive. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to disagree with the idea that, I mean, I, I know I said he's making a fortune out of others' misfortune. I still love this bit. I'm like, you go, Forrest, because Lieutenant Dan told you to stay in the storm because he was being a psycho in the crow's nest. So well done. You've made a lot of money and I'm happy for you. Uh, back at the narration station, uh, there's a man who looks like he's enjoyed a fair few meals at Bubba Gump and he refuses to believe Forrest is the millionaire owner of the company. Um, where are we now? Section four, Sweet Home Alabama. Forrest goes home and his mum dies. Uh, tears here from me, obviously. Don't know about you guys, uh, but yeah, Sally Field going, cried. Uh, Jenny comes to stay with Forrest and Forrest is happy. Um, so now Jenny's arrived. Um, uh, just, a, just a note on the soundtrack. Music producer Joel Sill reflected on compiling the soundtrack. <laughs> we wanted to have very recognisable material with pinpoint time periods, yet we didn't want to interfere with what was happening cinematically. And yet when everyone is happy in Alabama, the song that's playing is Leonard Skinner's <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama. Little on the nose. Little on the nose. Uh, Jenny makes peace with her childhood by throwing stones at her dad's house while Forrest wears brown flares. Um, <laughs> that's what was written in the script was it <laughs> uh, he offers to marry her she says no uh, but she does have sex with him and leaves before he wakes up how do you feel about that I think she does a very good job still and I did when I was 12 of conveying like I am so over your bullshit right now <laughs> 
but <laughs> still loves him. So she, it's a pity shag. She's not a monster, which is fine. Um, but when he's like, why won't you marry me? Why don't you love me? And it's like, God, just stop going on at me. But her face is that she could be the sort of, the suffering, or not the suffering one, what's the right way of saying it? Like she could be played as like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I know I'm going to walk into trouble if I walk out of here, but I don't care. But she's got enough about her to be, the look to me is like, stop going on at me, which I wasn't expecting necessarily from the way that she is written. I think it's quite harsh, but I think it's deserved because he is just kind of one note with her all the time. He rescues her all the time and that's brilliant. But why does she have to be married to him in order for him to rescue her? God, yeah. So grateful. I so think you're a cheeky bastard. <laughs> is that what you'd say? I have literally punched everyone who stood in your way. I, so now I've you have saved to shag your me. life. You'd be dead twenty years ago. <laughs> You'll be dead in ten I'm, years if you I'm walk not, out of that door. <laughs> I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. I do like like the minute is it is it my misreading but he says i i do know what love is and he sort of goes out into the front in a bit of a huff and it's quite cute like he's sort of i see i don't like that where he puts his hands on the hips it's too comedic for me i don't think it should be in that moment because it's quite a, a heartbreaking moment but the minute he puts his hands on his hips and sort of does that pretend huff i'm like oh it's playing yeah, for laughs i like it I, well no. yeah it is playful. i think it's because it's him impersonating how he's seen people act when they're having a love is tiff maybe yeah but in that a moment you'd imagine that he wasn't in the frame of mind to impersonate someone being involved in a lover's tiff he would actually be heartbroken so yes true so uh yeah i mean i guess the effective thing here is um first of all forrest uh, hits the drink after jenny leaves and uh, by drink i mean milk because as we know if you ever want to make it clear in a hollywood film that a character is wholesome they yeah, drink milk. They do. So he has a big glass of milk, <laughs> smashing that back. Uh, but it's what's kind of heartbreaking is the fact that you forget that he has no way of finding her. It's not like she's gone and he's just giving her her space. Like he just doesn't know where she's gone. He doesn't yeah. know how to find her. There's no mobile phones, no social media, nothing like that. So he, she is genuinely out of his life. Um, so then that leads us on to section five, which is on your marks, get set, gump. Uh, <laughs> Forrest runs. Uh, Better, around better. America. Thank you. Uh, we get a mix of beautiful shots of landscape with Tom Hanks's brother, Jim Hanks, filling in for Tom in the wide shots, mixed with some gags. Um, Forrest comes up with Shit Happens mm. as a bumper sticker. Again, I assume this mm. was a thing. Looked it up, not a thing. Just made up for the movie. Like, Shit Happens is not a famous bumper sticker in America. Are no. you sure? Yes. <laughs> okay. What? You, it is. I've, I, I had a real dig around. It's a saying. But it's a it, saying before yeah. Forrest Gump says it in this film. Do you, I actually can tell you a little bit about that. The first time it was ever used uh, in print was uh, written down was 1983 was when Shit Happens was yeah. recorded. So only 10 years earlier. Do you know the first movie? Uh, well, the first big movie. I think it was used once before this, but the first big movie that ever used Shit Happens. 1991 film. Keanu Reeves. <sighs> Bill and Ted. Point break. Patrick, point break is the correct answer. Another little quiz there, not the real quiz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when they fall on you, you won't back down and they'll have to burn your ass to the ground. <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> Brilliant. How do you know uh, that's the first time it was used? I'm. Uh, where is this coming from, this information? A little website called <laughs> Wikipedia, Chris. Um, yeah. You might not have heard of it. Yeah. What? Do you not like that information? I thought as a trivia fan... That would be right. I just feel like shit happens has been around for a while and has been said in more than 
No, I've said it on the Point podcast. Break. It's fact now. So anyway, so, I, it. yeah. I feel like the shit happens in him inventing the smiley face. This is that stuff I bit. don't like. That was the bit when I was twelve. I was like, "This is a re- not it's real, but it's like this is the story. <laughs> this is one man's story." And when he put the thing on his face, I was like, "That's not right. That doesn't look anything like his face." So what am I watching? And then in yeah. order to comp to cope with having watched something that I thought was real for two hours, I just dismissed it. I was like, "My brain can't do that because I've been telling myself a lie." for two hours yeah that it's was just, it. it's it, it's the fact that it's just a gag that shouldn't be in the film because it doesn't work you, you can't I, on paper i'm sure that works but no one rubs their face with a t-shirt and leaves that mark on a t-shirt yeah. it's it's insane that this is in the film <laughs> it feels like a spoof in these scenes yeah which is at odds with obviously tonally it's all over the place from being a child abuse drama to being what seems like a cartoon and here it just it i feel like yeah get rid of all these jokes here because none of them are funny and they don't work and they spoil the film for little vicky yes thank yeah. you uh, and we're into our final section now uh, which is simply called hanks for the memories <laughs> uh, uh, back at the narration station an elderly woman tells forrest that was a lovely story because she's mad. And then Jenny, <laughs> uh, turns out, only there's five blocks away. If there is any moisture left in your body at this point, there won't be for long because this is where I lose my shit yeah, in this too. film. <laughs> I can't even think about it. <laughs> Making oh, me well up. Oh. Since the moment, the moment I go, uh, specifically, there's a, one moment where I just, I cannot stop. And it's uh, when Jenny goes, his name's Forrest. I named him after his daddy. And I'm like, oh, my God. I named him after the football club. <laughs> <laughs> I named him after the KKK, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm racist. I don't tell you. Um, no, the bit where, which is really manipulative, but I've been holding it in so far. And then he, so he's realised that the baby forest is his baby. <laughs> and he says, is he smart or did? And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck me. Because it's like Forrest knows how he is, but, 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 and we think he's lovely, but he's somehow worried, you know, he's worried for his son already about his son's passage through life, like everybody is. And Tom Hanks like sells the shit out of it. And I was just in bits. He's a very, he's an exceptional cry actor. He is an exceptional cry actor. Oh, shit. They're beating Captain Phillips at the end on the table. Yep. That, yep. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I carry on crying in the next sequence uh, at the wedding, uh, but that is because I, I absolutely hate Jenny's wedding dress. Like, so it, do it, I. It, oh, my God. And fucking I hate awful. her hair. She looks like Princess Diana goes to a festival. She looks terrible. <laughs> that sounds yeah, cool. The, yeah, it's actually now I've said it. The, the dress is it's a bad dress and, and then and then lieutenant dan turns up and i told you i like gary sinise but lieutenant dan turns up with his new legs and doesn't really understand wedding etiquette because it's it's forrest and jenny's day no one wants to hear about how your legs are made out of the same shit they use on the space shuttle just say something nice and move on like about <laughs> jenny's dress because she's going to need a few compliments about that let your fiance say a couple of things as well poor susan <laughs> who only gets to say hello <laughs> she says yeah. i'm susan or something <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes shut up shut up we're talking about my legs <laughs> uh and then Jenny dies and I'm back to proper crying. And that carries on literally to the end of the film with the feather floating off again. Um, because as we all know from Castaway, which we talked about on the show, Zemeckis literally nails the fact that the rule of film where the last image is the opposite of the opening image, he gets that right every time. Because <laughs> the feather 
lands, and then at the end it floats off again. You're like, oh, Zemeckis, do you, you know that? You do that well. A <laughs> um, couple of other little bits, uh, which we actually talked about already that I had for the end. Um, literally, some people suggest the film provokes conservative, conservative ideals. Um we touched on that. Eric Ross swears the film is not meant to be political. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a sequel uh, that never happened. Um, uh, they wrote the screenplay based on the book that uh, Winston Green wrote in 1995, Gump & Co. Eric Roth wrote it in 2001, but after 9-11, Roth, Zemeckis and Hanks decided the story was no longer relevant. Um, but um, we are getting an Indian language remake at Lal Singh Chada, which is out December this year. Um, the, the 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 film sequel was going to be quite different to the book sequel, though. I did do some research on that front. In Ooh. in the book, um, in the book, Jenny visits him as a ghost. He sells encyclopedias, which is similar to Big Fish. Uh, ends up capturing Saddam Hussein, knocks down the Berlin Wall, and meets the actor. <laughs> meets the actor. He meets the actor who's starring in the film Big, um, and he gets a special award for being the world's most lovable idiot at the uh, Oscars that Forrest Gump wins all the Oscars at. Um, the movie. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what Eric Roth wrote. He um so the plot called for Gump to be riding in the back of O.J. Simpson's white Bronco during his notorious police chase. <laughs> um, it had Forrest earning fame as a ballroom dancer and ending up dancing with Princess Diana before her death. No. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Um, this isn't good. This is a, qu- a direct quote from uh, from Roth, I think. It was going to start with his little boy having AIDS and people wouldn't go to class with him in Florida. We had a funny sequence where they were desegregating busing in Florida at the same time. So people were angry about either the busing or their kids having to go to school with the kid who had AIDS. Jesus so there was a Christ. big conflict. Um, and then finally... <laughs> And then finally, he meets um, he meets a Native American woman. I think the suggestion that maybe he falls in love with her, and he finds his calling as a bingo caller on a reservation. Um, every day he'd wait for her bus because um, she taught nursery school at a government building in Oak. Oklahoma, and he's sitting on the bench waiting for her to have lunch when all of a sudden the wow. Oklahoma City bombing happens and she blows up. Okay. And that's the reason that it, they decided not to make it because of the 9-11 uh, occurring around the same time. So, yeah, we nearly got that. I mean, I don't know whether it's you reading it, and I know it shouldn't be, but that's fucking hilarious. That, that's, that, that Someone wrote that down and went, this is the sequel to Forrest Gump, the much-loved movie from 1994. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. But maybe if you described... Forrest Gump, it sounds as weird as that. Maybe I that's mean, what I mean. It's maybe pretty... it's just you. Maybe maybe you just saying it out loud and me reacting is like, wow, that that sounds incredible. But they did apparently. Paramount looked again at the script in two thousand and seven, and it was still a no. So <laughs> it would continue the curse because most people he meets in Forrest Gump dies, and so most of those people in Forrest Gump two that he meets dies. So there's, I don't know. I think there's something underlying storyline here about him being <laughs> cursed. All right then, uh, shall we do the bits? Sure. Great. Uh, best scene, Victoria. Very simple. Anytime Tom Hanks runs fast, love it. <laughs> Chris, um, as Vicky mentioned earlier, when uh, Forrest says, "Is he smart or is he?" and trails <laughs> off and starts 
um, crying. And you know why I think it works? It's not just the, the acting. I, it's the first time you can relate to Forrest Gump because it's the first time he's acting like a human and not an alien. Mm. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, yeah, mine's like yours, Victoria. Either when the young Forrest starts running for the first time and breaks out of his braces, or it's the moment where he sees Lieutenant Dan on the jetty and jumps into the sea and swims towards him. One of those two. Happy with either. MVW, Chris. Most valuable whatever. It is uh, Gary Sinise, um, again, for a similar reason, because Lieutenant Dan seems to be the only actual human being in the film. <laughs> uh, no one else, even Jenny, I don't think seems like a real character. There's sort of ciphers and, and strange behaviours. And so, yeah, all the credit to Sinise there. Okay, okay, good work. You know, I'm a big fan of Gary Sinise. I want to hug him. want to hug that man. Uh, Victoria, MVW. Robin Wright, because she has to shoulder the burden of all the punishment that this film is going to dole out. So she's got abuse, exploitation, addiction, bad men, lack of economic opportunity, and then she just dies. But she does it with power. She does it with focus, with believability. And actually, although I've said Tom Hanks running fast is my favourite scene, the scene where she nearly falls off the balcony is my second favorite like i remember that over the years like she just she did she rings a lot out of that scene i think and it's you know although she is she is a cypher she does her best with it i don't remember that scene very well because uh because i found the soundtrack to the film was interfering with the cinematic qualities i was listening yeah. to Freebird. What, what was she actually doing in the scene <laughs> the, the, regarding her that her character though obviously she has it raw and rough <laughs> but is yeah. the film punishing jenny or is the film showing how America punishes rebels like her? I think you've got good America and bad America and Forrest gets everything of good America and she gets all of bad America. I, I think, I don't think they're saying, oh, no, they probably are saying both maybe. If, you know, if you are an activist, if you are this, if you are a woman, things will happen to you in this period. I don't think it's shying away from saying women had a hard time and all the rest of it. Um, but equally she has, something bad has to happen in this film and it can't happen to Forrest, so it has to happen to someone to show the true history of America, maybe. Yeah, well, a lot of bad things happened to him in the book, but but Zemeckis came on board and together with Roth, they just shifted them all onto yeah, Jenny. So. Because the trouble is, if something bad happens to Forrest, he'd have to react to it, and he mm. isn't. He doesn't react in a... Like you say, he's an alien. And Jenny doesn't do much reacting either. Like She leaves some of the situations she's in, but she doesn't ever seem to... Like, she never says fuck me i've had a hard time or like even when she's like oh i've got a mystery virus she's not angry about that and that is her right but there's no sense of like i got dealt a really shitty hand here apparently it was quite it was quite polarizing um at the time uh, her performance in terms of what people thought of it and in terms of what the film was trying to say about her and i was watching the most up-to-date interviews uh with eric uh, roth and them um, and robin wright as well and they were both asked a question about you know how a divisive like uh, people's opinions of how Jenny is portrayed in the film were, and neither of them had a really good answer. They were kind of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they sort of mumbled their way through it. They weren't like, yes, it's this, or no, it's not that, or we understand that we did that wrong. It's all very sort of like, yeah, well, you know. It's I think it's it? been very wishy-washy the whole way along. I mean, the politics of the film and, and what you think of the Jenny character. I've got three quotes here. Zemeckis said, my film is a party to which everyone can bring a bottle. Um, when asked about the politics of the film. The producer, Steve Tish, said, Forrest Gump isn't about politics or conservative values. It's about humanity. And Hanks, when he was asked about it, he said, this film is non-political and thus non-judgmental. 
which is three men sitting on the frigging fence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go for my MVW now, and I can't, well, someone has to pick him, Hanks. Um, I, I, I honestly think to just assume that this is a, a he's playing a one note character, or like he, he, he once he's got the the comedic mannerisms of Forrest down, it's a walk in the park. I think there's a real there's a, a real subtlety to some of the way he plays Forrest, and I, I think he's incredible in this. And um, and don't take my word for it. Uh, take the word of the Academy, who never get things wrong. So, uh, so yeah, Hanks is my MVW. Change time. Uh, Victoria. Um, the shrimping thing. I think they should be good at shrimping because of an invention that Bubba was working on in Nam. So then maybe the storm can still happen. Um, and rather than just being coincidentally out in the storm, they use this invention or maybe the invention, whatever it is, it doesn't work until the storm happens, whatever. But because of Bubba's invention, they clean up with the shrimp and they corner the market because of his invention. They patent it. It's a Bubba device. So it really is the three of them out there making their fortune. Like it can't happen without him. And it can't happen without Bubba in the way that the film is because he sort of passes on his knowledge. But a, a device, a thing, rather than just other people are screwed and therefore we've done all right. I like it. I like it a lot. Chris. Thanks. I've, yeah, that's very good. And I've used up a lot of my powder. So mine on this front, so this one isn't as good. But when I was a kid, this is interesting, I thought, when I was analysing. When I was a kid, I didn't like the way Jenny treated Forrest. And now I don't like the way the film treats her. So let's do something about that, as we've yeah, all you, agreed. You thought she was ungrateful. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was quite... I thought she was mean to him. Um, mm. But now I see it through very different eyes. And, yeah, let's sort I've, her out. I've, um, I've used up a lot of my powder. I like that expression. That came out of left field there. I was a big fan of that. I've used up a lot of my powder. I've never heard that before. That's a great expression, Chris. You should use that more. I really liked it. I was made you sound very... referring to gunpowder. Yeah, no, I get it. Not, not I don't cocaine. Get <laughs> uh, um, right. Final change for me. It's a uh, Forrest Gump did not come up with the lyrics to fucking imagine. So cut that shit out immediately. <laughs> Right, that is Forrest Gump done. Uh, we've got time for a quiz. Let's do a quiz. Chris, you got a quiz? Yes, let's make it snappy. Let's make it snappy. Right. Um, so thanks to the Bubba Gump chain, I'm glad that came up a few times, I'm going to give you the name of a restaurant, a real-world restaurant inspired by a movie or TV show, and you've got to tell me the name of the film or TV show that inspired it. Okay. okay. So if I said Bubba Gump, you would say? Forrest, Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Forrest Gump. That was not Forrest, the first Forrest, question. Gump. One to me. Okay. Um, first one is uh, Cafe Jack. I'll give you some clues. It's in LA, located in Koreatown. That's not a helpful clue. Um, uh, the cafe is in an actual ship. Oh, Titanic. Correct. Yay. Cafe Jack is a Titanic-themed <laughs> restaurant that serves Asian... Right. me Asian... Right. French ladies, Jack. <laughs> it serves Asian <laughs> fusion cuisine, of course. That makes no sense. <laughs> right, right. And I'm it's... with you. I'm, I'm with you now. I thought these were, I thought these were like restaurant names from movies that had been brought into the real world. These are just idiots naming restaurants for Cafe Jack. I got you. Fine. Right. And it's film and TV. Uh, so next one is Walter's Coffee. Uh, Frasier. Uh, there are chemical equations on the walls and drinks Breaking served bad. in beakers. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> that one is in Istanbul if you want to visit it. I would oh, like God. to visit it. Uh, the Lockhart Cocktail Bar in Toronto. Hmm. Uh, it's a Harry Potter. 
Correct. Oh. Very good, Alex. They are so they they don't call their cocktails cocktails. They call them death potions. Nice. Um, I'd like that. Three death potions, please. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is a tricky one. I'll be impressed if you get this one, but I will give you some clues. So it's called the Pandorica. It's Pan's in Labyrinth. New York. It's in New York. Uh, the food is British themed, which is a clue. Um, Lock, and stock, it's and drinking barrels. It's named after a prison which is situated under Stonehenge in a science fiction TV show. <laughs> Doctor Who. Correct. <laughs> On the comeback trail. I need to get there in the end. Uh, Bistro Chez Remy. Oh, uh, Ratatouille. Oh, Correct. no, that's right. Fuck. Correct. That is in Disneyland Paris. And everything looks large there as you are seeing it from the perspective of a rodent. Uh, finally, Alex is in the lead. Vicky, you need this for, to go to a tiebreaker. The Black Lodge. Uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, well played, Alex. Yeah. Of course it's Twin Peaks. It's in Vancouver, the Black Lodge. I don't well, care. Oh, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so annoyed. I tell you what, I've got no patience you, Vicky, you snatched defeat from the jaws of victory there. <laughs> we shouldn't do these quizzes in lockdown unless I am going to win. Because now I'm mad. <laughs> oh. I could just picture your face. I'm so furious. Don't I know. It, 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 my face is exactly how you're picturing it as well. And I'm not even going to pretend that it's not. It is. It's that You know what I'm doing. There it is. <laughs> the tiebreak tie question I will tell you and I'll tell you the answer is how you how do you hail a waiter at Bubba Gump's restaurant? And the answer is apparently you shout stop forest stop as they're walking by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, right then. Uh, uh great stuff. So uh, who won the quiz, Chris? Sorry? Uh not Vicky. Right, good. Uh, right, uh, <laughs> let's look ahead to uh, next week. Uh, so it's our final Oscar show before Oscar night itself. That's right, isn't it, Christopher? Sorry sorry to yes. ask you. I'm just yep, pretty yep, sure yep. it is. It right, is. Um, so it's my pick, and here is your clue. Family one, meet family two. This is going to be class. <laughs> family one, meet family two. This is going to be class. <laughs> right, uh, that is next week, though. Get your guesses in on Twitter, at ClashPod. There'll be another clue coming up, courtesy of Christopher. Uh, Oscar season continues on Thursday, though, this week, with Big Fish going up against today's Best Picture winner. In the meantime, please subscribe to us, rate reviewers, indeed, if you have time. And it's a great help to us, and we love it. And we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, at ClashPod. That's us done. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.